that and you're used to maybe a more programmed uh, that's not what we do. <laughs> um, if God is moving, we just want to take a moment, uh, right? Like, how dare God come and uh, uh, mess up our worship service, right? Um, but I, I say this, God has made us a promise. And I've said this for years. You can check back on any of the vision messages that God would, God would make us a church of influence in our community and, give, and that the people who make up our body would be in influential positions in the community. And uh, I, I just continue to believe that teachers in the public schools, whether in Centerville or Sturgis or any, any of the Menden, wherever you're from, you are very influential and part of what God is doing through our church into all the communities in our area. Um, so uh, it's an incredible thing. As you're getting settled and you want to turn to Mark chapter 4, I want to say that uh, today in Kalamazoo there are a couple of um, uh, strategic things that are happening that we can pray for. Uh, today is uh, Gabe and Rita Taylor's last Sunday in Kalamazoo. So starting next uh, Sunday, they will be back in Centerville after a seven-year um, commitment of serving in Kalamazoo in our ministry and church planting. So uh, we're going to want you to welcome them when you see them next week. They're going to take a little time off, but not from church, but just from some rolls and rest up and those things. But what a testimony that is. And so they are blessing them today in Kalamazoo. So we want to pray with them. Uh, also, I, I mentioned that um, God had put on my heart to find um, some closed down church buildings. And, and look at what it might take to begin to buy them. Uh, God did that some time ago. And of course for Kalamazoo we have been looking for a permanent home for them for a while. Uh, thank you for praying into that. Continue to pray into that. And so, uh, uh, again, two weeks ago, we put in an offering on a church building uh, that is basically turnkey and have church uh, that's been closed for three years. Um, and so, uh, late yesterday evening, we found out that our offer was accepted and we'll be signing the paperwork on that tomorrow. So, come on. Uh, we want to pray uh, as that works and uh, Kalamazoo transitions into a permanent home and the future of that and those things. And so um, what an exciting time it is and um, uh, I, I'm just really blessed by that. The details of that will come here in a little bit. Uh, but uh, if you're going to be looking at volunteering and helping in, in a little while, we're going to want to do a little love to that building. It just needs some love. Hello, somebody. Um, as no one's been in it for a few years. Uh, but we'll post some pictures and things of that uh, and uh, later on as, as uh, things happen. We just really couldn't say anything until we had a firm commitment from uh, the denomination that owned the building. Uh, and uh, they had a meeting to discuss and accept our offer. So uh, we are pretty excited that uh, Kalamazoo is going to be able to move into a permanent home with the opportunity of paying it off completely in three years. Come on, come on, give God praise. So, good things, church, good things, right? Good things in the middle of a vision series. It's good to be encouraged. And the Campbells are here, and I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged just to see them. It's been a two-year journey uh, just to go three and a half hours. <laughs> you feel like, you know, they, three weeks they could have walked across the day wonder for 40 years. Where have you been driving for two years, David? It's all over Canada. 
Uh, but uh, David is going to be preaching in a couple of weeks. Next week, Breno is going to be speaking to our young people here in our vision series. And so then David's going to carry a few weeks uh, too. And so we're just excited about what is happening. Amen. I want you to read with me as we get into this sermon today. We're going to have communion. So I got to go. Everybody go. You got to go. Got to go. All right. <clears throat> I want to say this to you as I've titled this sermon series, Win the Day. And today's subtitle is Cut the Rope. Everybody say, Cut the Rope. Now, who you do life with is important. That might be a revelation to you. But who you do life with is important. Let me, let me give you an illustration of just how important the disciples thought that was in, in a very familiar scripture. But I'll be honest with you, I saw some things new and unique as I've been prepping for this message. Um, here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 34. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus. I love this. In the boat and started out. Here's the next part. Leaving the crowd behind, although other boats followed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As many times as I've read this story, I never paid attention that they were not the only boat. I've never paid attention to that. But soon, a fierce storm came. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, and the disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the winds and said to the water, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Suddenly the winds stopped, and there was a great calm. So, Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our heat ears and the receiving of her heart in Jesus name and everyone said who you do life with is important I'm just telling you who you do life with is important in one way or another there comes a moment in all of our lives when you need to cut the rope and take a step of faith let me give you an example. In 1853, I read an article about um, uh, the World Fair in New York. Now, um, the organizers built uh, uh, an exhibit hall called the Crystal Palace. I, I did a little Google image search of that because I, I was like, I, I've never heard of this, uh, obviously. Um, and uh, where is it and why can't I go see it, this Crystal uh, Palace? And and it was built to showcase the latest and greatest inventions. And they called this the World Fair, where all the inventors would come from all over the world to display new inventions. And this glass crystal palace building was beautiful that they built for this. This is where a man by the name of Elisha Otis stole the show by pulling off a stunt for the ages. Check this out. Otis was the inventor of what we today call the elevator safety brake. But he had a hard time selling it to folk. No one wanted to talk to him because everybody was skeptic about this thing. So here's what he did. 
watch this, over a glass palace. Hello, somebody. He stood on a platform high above the crystal palace, and he had a man with an axe positioned above the elevator shaft. And he yelled loud enough for everyone in the exhibition hall to hear him, cut the rope. The crowd held its breath and the elevator fell. But within just a few feet, his brakes engaged. And he said, all is safe, ladies and gentlemen. All is safe. The safety brake worked and so did his sales pitch. Hello, somebody. When Elisha Otis cut the rope, there were only a few buildings in New York that were taller than five floors. Why? Because nobody wanted to walk up all them stairs. So why build a building taller than five stories if the only way to go up and down is up and down those stairs? Hello, somebody. So in 1854, Otis installed an elevator in a building on Broadway, and the rest is history. And watch this. By 1908, there were 538 buildings. Now, from 1853 to 1908, it's not a long time. But listen, by 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City that qualified as skyscrapers because of the elevator. And the brake system that kept it safe. Now we fast forward to a hundred years. And according to Otis Elevator Company. And you have ridden in an Otis Elevator. If you've ever ridden an elevator. According to Otis Elevator Company. Watch this. The equivalent of the world's population. Which is over 7 billion people. Rides an Otis Elevator every Three days. All because a man said, cut the rope. He believed in what he had. He believed in what he was doing. So much so that he was willing to risk everything. And today, every three days, seven billion people ride elevators. They go higher than five stories. Now, I think it's safe to say that uh, Mr. Otis turned the world upside down or from small to tall. I don't, right? There comes a moment when all of us, though, live in this life we live where we have to cut the rope. And I need you to hear me about what I'm about to say. I believe that playing it safe is risky. I believe that the greatest risk is taking no risk. See, one maintains the status quo, and, and, and uh, it, 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 if, if you get there and you're not willing to take risk, right, the status quo is maintained, and it leads us to a life where we have regrets. Um, a, a local or a, a prominent leading psychologist, Tom uh, Glivovich, uh, and it says 84% of our regrets will be the things we didn't do. 
Not the mistakes that we made or the pain that that caused us. It's the opportunities that we miss out on. I often think about the rich young ruler. Think about the things he could have seen and experienced in the three years he could have had walking with Jesus. Instead, he thought what Jesus was asking him to do was give up more than what Jesus was putting on the table. We will experience failures. Come on, church. We'll all have falls. But cutting the rope is a way that we cut the ribbon to our dreams. Rudy's word. Come on. It's, it's, it's there. And you say, well, Pastor Don, I mean, that's just some, that's nothing but grand gestures. But wait, we do this all the time. There's not a young man in here that wants to marry a young woman that isn't going to commit a grand gesture by getting on his knee and asking her, come on. And we actually embrace that grand gesture. We're like, okay, when, you, when you're kneeling down, bud, like, I mean, I've actually said to a few young guys, like, what you doing? You waiting on something better to come along? Like, what you, it's time to get on the knee, man. What you doing? Like, hello, somebody. All right, so how about a physical gesture like taking a before picture when you start a diet? That's a grand gesture. How about the grand gesture of when missionaries used to go to the mission field, then instead of taking suitcases, they packed everything they owned in coffins? They made a statement. So... I believe that these grand gestures, these moments of defining decisions, calculating risk, and, and selfless sacrifice are defining moments in our lives. Let me make it personal for us. October 31, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 theses. December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in Montgomery, Alabama. May 25th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy, we could, do, we could use one of them today. He was a Democrat. He said, within 10 years, we will put a man on the moon and return him home safely. Why? Because we can. Any way you want to slice it this morning, no matter where we're at, I think the genesis of the, the Protestant Reformation, I, I, I think the civil rights movement, I think the space race, grand gestures, they're all the point of no return. There's no going back. There's no going back from Luther's thesis. There's no going back from Rosa Parks. There, there's no going back from walking on the moon unless you're like my wife and don't believe it happened. It's like, how in the world did we walk on the moon? I can't even talk on my cell phone on Schimmel Road, right? Like, <laughs> watch this, watch this, but it's biblical too. 
Y'all not ready. Y'all not ready. It's biblical too. Watch this. Here's from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is full. It's full of grand gestures. And maybe you don't read your Bible like I do. But man, there was a man by the name of Noah who who went big or went home. He built a boat. Come on, somebody. When nobody else is building boats in that area, he built a boat. That's a grand gesture, right? Abraham puts Isaac on an altar. Y'all not ready, right? A, a, A man that I've been reading a lot about lately, getting ready for the men's conference. His name is Benaniah. He chases a lion down into a hole on a snowy day. And he looks at that lion and says, one of us ain't coming out of here alive. (laughs) Oh, we need some men like that. Something's dying today. And it ain't me. Come on. The Israelites circled Jericho for seven days. That's a grand gesture. Esther goes on a three-day fast. I don't have time to read your Bible for you. Ezekiel, Ezekiel church. He lays on his left side for 390 days. Elisha is so committed to following his mentor that he burns his farming equipment. James and John, they drop their nets. Oh, come on, church. Peter gets out of a boat. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Paul shaves his head. And the Ephesians build such a big bonfire that they bring all of the wicked books full of witchcraft and incantations and sorcery and they burn it in the middle of the street. Come on, the Bible is full of it. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Come on, church. Those are... Incidents that turn into defining moments and each of them in their own way are a unique way of cutting the rope. For you and me, it's those moments that we get to where the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. One way or another, there's a time in all of our lives where cutting the rope or trusting the rope has to do with whether we trust God or we trust ourselves. These are the days where you and I must make the same life-changing decisions. These are the days. These are the days where people have to say, I'm cutting the rope. I'm abandoning myself to what I believe is true. And I'm trusting only what God has put before me. Hello, somebody. Just a few short years ago, uh, Justin Papish, is, he, he's selling meth. He's in prison. And his life is ruined. And all of a sudden, he comes to that moment. Cutting the rope. It's time to go forward. Christine is, 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 is in the same situation, and now she's helping lead a recovery group here at our church on Wednesday night. I mean, those are the moments <laughs> where we say, well, I've been trusting. I'm not trusting anymore. I'm cutting the rope, and I'm walking away. And see, those moments cannot happen. They cannot happen in our life if we are doing life with the wrong people. I mean, I don't have time today because we got to do communion to go through what I wanted to. But 
I think it's important that Mark chapter 4 opens up and it says, In the evening Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go to the other side of the lake. Now listen to me. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. I've never seen it with my own eyes, but if you have. The Bible says that they set out as the sun was setting. Now that's not insignificant. When you got across a sea that's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Hello, somebody. It's not insignificant. Why? Because being on any sea in the open at night is scary. But the Bible says, verse 36, they left the crowd. In other words, they left who they had been doing life with. They left the crowd. They left the crowd. And I need need us to understand as a church and as a people of faith that I think we're beginning to realize that sometimes we need to leave the crowd behind because, because that is important to understand that who we do life with is important. Young people, who you do life with is important. It'll, it'll affect your attitude. It'll affect your grades. It'll affect how you relate to the world. It affects everything. Uh, old people, it, it'll affect your life. I just didn't want anybody to feel left out. (laughs) Who you do life with affects how your life goes. You cannot be tied to the world and be tied to God. It is not possible. And these past few years have made me examine who I'm in the boat of life with. It's really made me look at it because I firmly believe that the church family is our only lifeboat. Especially in these current storms. That's why being involved in each other's life. Outside of Sunday morning. Is important. And why am I talking about this? Because we're we're trying to figure out. What is the major thing that has been robbed. From every person. On the face of the earth. Over the last two and a half years. Whether you're believers or not. Let me tell you what it is. It's very simple. Community. That has been stolen from everybody. Regardless of what you believe about COVID, vaccine, it doesn't matter. But the one thing we can all agree that has been stolen from us is community. And time and time again, people have come to me and said, Pastor Don, Sunday mornings are so important to me because it's the only place we can go anymore and just feel normal. Praise God that that's the testimony of church. Yes. It's going to be even more important that we realize that it is important who we're doing life with. And so we've been looking as elders about, you know, our life groups have been there and they're not talked about a lot and people are in there. But life groups are a way to understand that we're not alone. You see, the disciples were in a storm, but they were all in the boat together. The people have said this about the pandemic. And, you know, we're all in the same storm, Pastor Don, but we're not all in the same boat. Well, I agree. And that is exactly why some people fare better than others. 
Did you just read in your Bible that there were other boats besides the one that Jesus and the disciples were in? This church, together on purpose, God's purpose. I'm encouraging us to make an effort to get in the same boat. God has called us to sail this journey of faith together as a ministry and as a church, to do life together because the vision of this house matters. That means you might have to change the boat you're in and leave the crowd you've been with. Now, how do, you, how do you leave the crowd behind? Because for starters, the average person, let me just put it this way. For starters, the average person spends 142 minutes of their day on social media. 15% of waking hours. Is this how I want to spend my life? When we filter the Bible through the news, our theology conforms to our reality. That's called idolatry. See, we as a people have got to have a biblical view of the world, not a worldly view of the Bible. We should see the world around us through the Scripture. We should see the world around us through the Scripture. Without excuse, without pardon, and who cares if their feelings get hurt? You know, there was a time in life when Right was right and wrong was wrong. And no one questioned it even if they were doing wrong. But in the days we live in now, who knows anymore? Who, who knows anymore what's happening? And let me just tell you something. Parents, if you don't think that there is an all-out war for your children, you better pay attention. They don't have influence into the next generation unless they have the next generation now. And neither do we. We've got to make sure to stay, that the still small voice of God is the loudest voice in our lives right now. Leaving the crowd behind. The Bible, I love this part. They took Jesus. Did you ever see that before? Because I'm just trying to, in my mind, I'm trying to see how, what, did, what they took Jesus. So there's all kind of people getting in the boats at the same time, right? And so obviously they knew all these people. And, and there were people just getting in boats and this, that, and the other. And here are all the disciples, right? Can you see Jesus just having a conversation with somebody that he knows and everybody's getting in the boat? He said, hey, disciples, let's, let's go to the other side. And everybody's like, yeah, we're getting in boats and those type of things. And one of the disciples goes over and grabs Jesus and says, you're getting in our boat. I'm just reading it. They took Jesus. From where? And from who? It was with intent to say, I'm getting in the boat with Jesus. Now let me add a little topography here. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by hills and mountains that I think we call the Golan Heights, and I don't have time for all of that. It's 20, but those seas and mountains are 25 feet above sea level. So what this does is this sets this whole geographical area up for very sudden and violent storms. Just sets it right up. It's the perfect place for just super sail storms to happen. It wasn't unusual. 
And so Jesus is in the stern of the boat, and he's asleep on a cushion. Hello, somebody. And this is where I get it, right? Like Jesus is taking a nap. And I'm just, I'm committed to being like Jesus, y'all. The older I get, the more committed I am to being like Jesus. I'm just saying. A nap is a godly thing. I'm just, what are you doing? I'm, I'm following Jesus. Taking a nap. And he, here he is. The disciples waking him up and they said, don't you care that we're going to drown? I, I find it fascinating when I read the scripture like this. Jesus is sleeping and so evidently they think he doesn't care. Aren't we so quick to assign blame when struggle happens? Aren't we so quick to assign wrong motives to people? In a stressful situation, our natural tendency is to play the blame game. Somebody better say amen. And that's what the disciples do here. In case you haven't noticed, everyone's blaming everyone else for everything that's happening. In case you haven't noticed, in the world that we live in, everybody blaming everybody for everything that is happening. It's somebody else's fault. Verse 39 is, is, is pretty important here. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Silence, be still. Then, so your Bible looks it brings you into this moment, and it, it tells you that Jesus got up and grabbed an oar and started rowing. Or they were worried about the boat sinking because it's obviously got water in it. You don't worry about a boat sinking if it doesn't have any water in it. So now it's got water in it, and they're worried about it sinking. And so Jesus wakes up, and immediately he looks for a bucket, and he starts bailing out the water. No, no, what does Jesus do? He rebukes the waves, peace, be still. And the wind died, and it was completely calm. I love that the Bible says that there were many boats in the same storm. Which one would you have wanted to be in? Oh, Pastor Don, we're all in the same storm, but we ain't in the same boat. I agree. And the Bible proves it. Which boat would you have wanted to be in? Like in that moment, if you had been walking with Jesus, and you're going to get in a boat and try and cross an open sea in the middle of the night, You'd have been right there with the, G, with the disciples handcuffing Jesus and throwing him in your boat. Absolutely you would have. No, no, no. You don't ride in that boat, Jesus. You're riding in this way. So I bet you look. Jesus riding with us. I want to be in the boat with Jesus. I want to be in the boat with people who want to be in the boat with Jesus. Oh, oh. <laughs> I want to be in the boat with people who want to be in the boat with Jesus. Because see, not everybody wants to be in the boat with Jesus. Didn't say anybody argued that Jesus didn't get in their boat. I want to be in the boat with people who want to be in the boat with Jesus. See, storms are coming on the seas of life that we're sailing, church. And it's important to be in the right boat with the right people. Y'all better say amen. Why? Because that's where we're going to see the miracles manifest. Why? Because that's where we're going to see the power and the glory of God. Why? Because that's where we're going to be assured that we're sailing with Jesus. They were careful and they were intentional 
about being together, they put Jesus in the boat. You see, I think that a church, when it's deciding to try and bring some purpose and some reason to life groups, it needs to be intentional. It needs to be intentional. Who we do life with is important. Are you with me, church? Community is important. And the one thing that has been robbed from us is community. The thing that matters the most to us is community. And so life groups are just that. They're an intentional togetherness. I, someone once told me when I asked them why they refused to join a life group. In the beginning, the elders here, we tried to figure out how to do life groups. And so we divided the church up into geographical things and said these people live close to each other. So we'll just say they're going to meet in this group and that group. And we'll make it convenient for them and those type of things. And, and, and so then, the, you know, there was, there was someone who just refused to be a part of any life group. And I, and I, I said, why, why won't you be a part of a life group? And they said, we didn't sign up for that. Okay, a few years later, they wind up leaving the church. Why? Because they didn't have any friends. And when tough times came, they felt alone. So they refused to make friends, and now it's the church's fault that they don't have any friends. I'm just being honest. Life groups aren't mandatory, but they are necessary. Because who you do life with is important. It matters. You need to have fellowship with people on the same faith journey. It matters. It matters. It matters. Life groups are your safety break. Y'all better help me. It's your safety break when you cut the rope to the world. And if you don't have a safety break, you ain't cutting the rope. You're not going to do it. You just, because you know the result of that. And so you would rather trust the rope knowing you don't have a safety break. And my thing is, why don't we want the safety break? Never experienced that before. Do you know that if 7 billion people ride elevators every three days, how many people do you ever hear about experienced the safety break. I mean, not many. I mean, it's, it makes good Hollywood movies. There are times. But for the most part, you never hear about elevator accidents. And there are some very tall buildings in this world. Incredible buildings. And for the most part, you never hear about accidents. There's a safety break on every one of them. Listen to me, church. We suffer from hindsight bias. See, we know the end of all the stories in the Bible. And so there's no element of surprise. There is, there, there's no shock and awe to us anymore. And Jesus stands up and rebukes the winds of the waves. And Why does Jesus stand up and rebuke the winds and the waves? Can I say this to you? I don't want to make it complicated. Because he has the authority to do so. And the people who are doing life with him need him to walk in authority. And so he stands up and he rebukes the winds and the waves because he has the authority. And, and how does he do it? With three words. Peace, be 
still. I cannot tell you right now. The immense sense in my spirit and the light of everything that is happening in our culture that this is a moment for the people of God to exercise their spiritual authority with spiritual humility and rebuke the winds and the waves. It is time. It is time. That boat could not have sunk. Why? Jesus was in it. And he had purposed for it to go to the other side. He declared it before he ever got in it. Let's go to the other. Jesus purposed to get there. Let me tell you something, church. When God gives a body of believers a vision, when God gives a body of believers an eldership team that is committed to what God has spoken to them, right? Let me tell you something. God is committing to getting there. He intends for us to arrive. And I don't believe that God has brought us this far to leave us this far. It is right here for us. This is a moment for us together on purpose to stand in the gap as peacemakers. To stand in the gap as grace givers. And to stand in the gap as tone setters. This this is a moment for us to defeat the enemy. How? Together on purpose. Doing life together. And you better put on the full armor of God because I got news for you right here and right now. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But, but, but we have weapons that divide power and demolish strongholds. We don't fight fire with fire. Listen, there's a shift in the atmosphere operating in an opposite spirit. Watch this. We rebuke hate with love. Oh, come on, church. We rebuke pride with humility. Y'all not helping me. We rebuke cursings with blessings, and we rebuke lies with the truth. We rebuke injustice with righteousness. We rebuke racism with repentance and reconciliation. We rebuke cancel culture with grace. We have the authority to move mountains. We have the authority over evil spirits. And I know it might sound spooky to you in that moment. But we are literally wrestling with powers and principalities that are exalted in high places. There is a devil loose. And we underestimate our authority in Christ because we fail to understand our identity in Christ. As church, as people who are doing life together. Who we do life with matters. And Jesus says to us, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You have authority. But see, you walking with people who could care less. You're doing life with people who are sinking and they don't care. You're doing life with people who aren't interested in being in the same boat as Jesus. And some of you young people need to grab this. Because there's some people in your boat don't belong there. They don't belong there. Or maybe you just wound up in a boat you don't belong in. You, we got to get a hold of this thing that God has put for us together on purpose is how we get it done. Together these men experience life and power of God in the face of certain death. It's right there. Together, these men experienced God's heart expressed towards them. And when everything seemed out of control, Jesus was there. It's true for us. It's true for us. Let me do this. I want to 
I opened up with this idea of grand gestures and this cut the rope moment. We talk about them all the time. There's a grand gesture called the field of dreams gesture, if you build it. We love it, don't we, Doug? We just love it. How many people do you think showed up at Noah's Ark when it started raining? They showed up every day before laughing. But when the rain started, they had a different motivation. They were in the wrong boat. Who you do life with matters. Abraham moves from Haran to Shechem. Grand gesture. Let me tell you why. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. God said, I'll show you. There's a little boy who gave a brown bag lunch. Come on, church. Five loaves and two fish. And he gave it to Jesus. It was a grand gesture. Church, if you build it, they will come. We're going to have some on-purpose conversations about what's going on with our ministry and especially our young people. That's exactly why I asked Breno to speak next week and to speak specifically to our younger generation. To ask a question, what are you doing with the vision that the elders are trying, what are you doing with the heritage and the legacy that our elders are trying to give us? How is your life prepped today for what God wants to do with us, with what he's giving us? If you build it, they will come. This church needs to have an on-purpose conversation about how we support young people, how we do ministry with young people. The world is building things to draw people away from God. With their glitter and their glamour, their lyrics and their music, I, I, I just want to put it to you this way. Here is how depraved the world has become. This year at Super Bowl halftime, they have some artists scheduled whose lyrics and their music, they have made their fame and their fortune on lyrics that are the most degrading lyrics to women I have ever heard in my life. This will be the greatest word pornography festival you have ever seen in your life. On the grandest scale. They will put these people up here. Who are depraved in their mindset. And there will be body parts hanging out and shaking. And our young people. Will think that's okay. Listen Breno just dropped the music. And the lyrics in that song. They're legit. They're legit. And Bruno and I have some conversations. We don't know what God's going to do with it, but we should pray for him and God will give him influence with his lyrics because young people need to hear it. And you know what? Every one of you young ladies, those people aren't your friend. All you young men, Snoop Dogg's not cool. He's a murderous dopehead. And we put him on the stage. 
And I'm criticized because I want to build buildings and facilities where young people will come here instead of watch that garbage and listen to that mess. Y'all need to heal me. I think the church needs a grand gesture. If we build it, the young people will come. I told Breno, I was like, dude, if the old people don't want to join the worship team, do away with them and put the high school and middle school group up here every week and blow the roof off this place. Can't get anybody to sign up for choir. Put the youth group up here. They're here every week anyway. Tired of waiting on people. Build it, they'll come. It's a grand gesture. Believe in it. Second grand gesture, enough is enough. Enough is enough is enough is enough. David finally made a decision. Goliath's got to die. Who is this dog? David made a decision. The days of my family cowering to uncircumcised Philistines, that's over. Right here, right now. I love it. Watch what happens inside of this. This is so important, right? Enough is enough is enough. And there are plenty of us in here who've got to learn to say, listen, I don't care what happened in the past. I don't care what used to identify me. I don't care what I used to come from or what I used to be. Enough is enough. I am not who I used to be, and I am not yet who I will become. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to a 90-foot golden statue. Jesus cursed a barren, a barren fig tree. Enough is enough. Either way you cut it, these gestures have something we need to pay attention to. We got to kneel down. I don't care what you say. Tim Tebow was excommunicated from the NFL. Because he would pray. But the NFL would promote Snoop Dogg. Who shot a man with a 12-gauge shotgun. And all of his lyrics promotes abuse of women and drugs. We have lost our mind. We have lost our, we got to pray. We got to pray. We, listen, repent, repenting is a personal issue. Lamenting is a corporate issue. And it starts with the people of God. And be connected with a small group of people from church. Let you pray together for the whole group. Preaching may move the hearts of men, but prayer moves the heart of God. And that is where revival comes from. Life groups allow us to draw small circles. Come on, church. They allow us to draw small circles where we get on our knees and we pray with fervent, heartbreaking prayers that God would start revival with the greater whole. It's the difference, prayer, the difference between fighting for God and God fighting for us. And when we're done praying, we need to stand up. January 30th, 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. was speaking at First Baptist Church and he was interrupted during his speech and told that his house had just been bombed. 
That night he's sitting at a kitchen table and he heard the voice of God speak to him and say, Martin, do not be afraid. Inspired by this experience, Dr. King took a stand. Believing that Ephesians had already solved the issue and that all God needed was a man to stand. Come on, church. For years, the church has sat around and said, one day, one day some great opportunity is going to present itself and then we'll be able to stand for God on some great principle, for some great issue, and for some great cause. One day, I'm here to tell this church, that day has arrived. And so we should pray for Aaron. And teachers and people in our church to have influence. And those who have influence that don't want to lead us down godly paths, we should look them in the eye and tell them to knock it off. I will not apologize. When we refuse to do it, it's because we're afraid. And in the world that we live in right now, Perpetual fear is the enemy's way for permanent control. We're afraid we'll lose our jobs. We're afraid we're, we'll be criticized. We're, we're afraid somebody will make fun of us or call us a name. We're afraid, we're afraid something. We're afraid. And you know what? Living afraid, I might make it to 90 years old. But if that's the truth, then I'm just as dead as now as I will be at 90. And when the cessation of my breath, every day between now and then, because I'm afraid, is just an announcement to this world that you killed me a long time ago. Quit living as if the purpose of this life is to arrive safely at your death. Quit living as if the purpose of this life is to arrive at your death safely. It doesn't matter how you arrive there. You're dead. What matters is what I do with the dash. Kneel down, stand up. Come on, worship team. Kneel down, stand up, and then do it all over again. Pray and take a stand. Cut the rope. Cut the rope. I'm I'm begging us as a church to understand that God has given us something incredible. He has given us a vision. He has given us purpose. He has given us community. When the world would try to rob all three of those things from us. In the middle of a time when the whole pandemic is about stealing those three things. And we're saying to you as an eldership team that we want you to get connected We want you to get connected. Life groups aren't mandatory, but they're necessary. And every once in a while, Lisa and I will just pop into the youth group. Just pop in. I love to just watch them worship. And we'll just pop in at young adults. And they're they're just doing life together. And so here's what we're saying. Since February 13th is the 
dessert auction. You're going to stay around for lunch and, and you're going to buy back the desserts that you brought. <laughs> I apologize right now if this will be your first dessert auction. There are some people here who are very competitive. And uh, I'm just encourage you to come with some money and have some fun. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, but we've also asked the, the current life groups that are leading right now to be here and to be stationed out front with who they are, what they're doing. Breno is going to be doing some recording, some videos uh, this coming week of, of some of those things. We're going to put that out to you. We want to create some more life groups. And what we're saying is this is about having space to have community. And so we're calling this our Tops Life Group Fair. Together on purpose. The Tops is with ownership. Apostrophe is. And I want you to consider just who do you have relationship with that's already involved in a life group and maybe figuring out how you can get involved in something like that so that ministry happens outside of Sunday morning in your life. Community happens outside of Sunday for you in some way. And so I'm looking forward to it. I really am looking forward to it. And I hope that you are too. Amen? It's time to cut the rope. It's time to cut the rope. And this church needs to make a commitment. Will you stand with me? Man, those boats, those other boats. I'm just, I'm lost right now wondering what happened. Did they make it? Did some of them sink? I, David, did you ever hear anything about, I mean, that, did they make it through the storm? Did some of them sink before Jesus calmed the whole thing? I, I don't know. I can imagine that if they were close enough, that maybe they fared well, and the miracle of Jesus blessed even those who, because of God's grace, I only know that those disciples made sure that Jesus was in their boat. They took Jesus. I want to be in the boat with people who want to be in the boat with Jesus. I'm going to invite a couple of elders. Um, Rod and Doug, why don't you come? Um, we're going to worship for a minute. Where are my ushers? This is a great day to take communion in the sense that... Um, um, okay. the blood of Jesus. The blood of Worship with Jesus. us as we pass out the elements. Come on. Thank you. 
Let me express something to you today in this place on Communion Sunday. Communion is about together on purpose. Communion is about our relationship with the Lord so that our relationship with each other is pure. So I want us to take a moment in our worship. And I want to say this to you. If you're in this place today and you're not prepared to take communion, no one is forcing you and definitely no one will judge you. Why? Because the scripture says this. Anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of the sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat this bread and drink this cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if a man would examine himself, he would not be judged by God in this way. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are being discipled, disciplined. So we will not be condemned along with the world. My dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. Now here they're talking about not starting until everyone gets ready, but communion is about our relationship with the Lord and with each other. And it's about honor. And this morning in this place, I want us to take a moment to examine our hearts. And the Bible says that if you have all against your brother, leave your gift. Go make that right and come back. There's a time to examine our hearts. And so we're going to do that. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, thank you for the grace extended in this room for this moment. You, Jesus, are the greatest gift. Your blood and your body. Communion. hearts are yours and thank you that Lord when we take a moment to examine our lives God that we are not filled with condemnation or guilt full of your mercy and grace God to know that you are able to come encourage our hearts and lives and so Lord we confess to you where we're at and we say thank you that you wash us and cleanse us We receive it in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, Paul speaking to the church, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when the Lord was betrayed, he 
took bread and gave thanks. And when he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. This do to remember me. This do to remember me. And so I'd ask for you this morning to hold up the bread, which is the element of the body of Christ. As we pray over it, remember that the body of Christ was broken for us. Father, as we get ready to remember the broken body that you gave for us, we just ask that today it would be also a remembrance of your Holy Spirit pouring out on us so that as we partake of this bread in remembrance of your broken body, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on us as well so that we would be enabled to expand your kingdom wherever we're at. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone said, let's partake. The same scripture says for the same manner he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. I'm not going to do a teaching on the blood of Christ and the symbolism of drinking blood, but it's such a powerful revelation. And in the scripture, it's forbid. And that to say that to a Jewish mind would violate him, drink my blood. God forbid it because in the moment, the heathens believe that in the moment we drink the blood of something, we become like it. So Jesus, we can't drink blood because if we drink your blood, then we'll be Hello, somebody. We hold up the cup that represents the blood of Christ. It's Doug Price. Jesus, thank you so much for shedding your blood for us, for purchasing a place in heaven for us that we might all enter in. Lord, we pray that you would help us to share that good news with those around us that they may also enter in. And so today we remember you and the sacrifice that you gave. And thank you. Let's partake. Thank you today, Lord, for giving us a place to do life together. Lord, as we do life together, thank you that you give us a place to be embraced. So we want to say thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for our vision. Thank you for each other. We celebrate you today as we cut the rope to the world and we embrace the safety break of the fellowship of the saints. Help us to continue to do life together on purpose for you, Jesus. We pray it in your precious name. And everyone said? Turn around and tell someone you love them.